Oscar Sunday, new film guys and podcast presented by Connor Isgary and Austin Johnson. Uh, we are going to be doing a new segment on each Sunday do- talking about Oscar nominated films, Oscar related films, films that maybe were snubbed by the Oscars. Uh, you'll be surprised how many films have been touched by the Oscars, how many films have been nominated. And today we're going to start with a classic, a film that we both feel deserves all the Oscar attention it got. We feel uh, if the Oscars happened today, it would still get that sort of attention. It is Quentin Tarantino's second effort from 1994, Pulp Fiction. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Gary. And welcome to Oscar Sunday. All right, man. Uh, Pulp Fiction is, um, you know, just a monumental film for filmgasm. We've talked about it. We Our, our first Weird Shit Wednesday was on the Tarantino um, filmography if you will. And uh, obviously Pulp Fiction stands out. Uh, it is my favorite Quentin Tarantino film along with Jackie Brown. I always go back and forth between those two, but with the cultural impact that Pulp Fiction has, um, I just see it as this complete Titan of the nineties, complete Titan of cinema, American cinema. What are your initial thoughts when you hear Pulp Fiction? When I hear Pulp Fiction, I immediately think of cinematic greatness. I think Pulp Fiction is unrivaled in what it was able to do. It's a film that is so experimental that I think in anybody else's hands, it wouldn't have worked, but Tarantino knows character and, uh, structure so well that he, he has a complete vision every time he makes a film and Pulp Fiction showed the world that this guy's here to stay. I mean, Reservoir Dogs got him on the map, but Pulp Fiction was his first masterpiece. And it's a film I could watch over and over again it never gets old for me i think it's very much uh deserving of all the praise it got yeah speaking of that praise uh we we can go down the list of the oscar nominations that pulp fiction got which uh if you if you don't know imdb um categorize these things very easy for you to look uh, if you just select a film you just scroll down just a little bit and it shows awards and nominations you can very easily find these things out and study these things if you if you care like uh, Connor and I do. <laughs> uh, you, know, you know, I think it. Do, do you do that in your own free time? Because I find myself all the time kind of memorizing what actually got nominated for films and whatnot. Constantly, it's a it's a hobby of mine for sure. I do. You know, I go through the Oscars, I go through the Globes. I'll go through like the Bram Stoker Awards. Like I'll just look at whatever the hell a film has been recognized for, regardless of uh, yeah. ranking. Why not? Yeah. So and, and for, for Pulp Fiction, this would be the 67th Academy Awards uh, that were hosted by David Letterman. And he famously, <laughs> famously did not do a good job. And uh, I actually watched his opening monologue. It was it was just not very good, not very well crafted. Um, the show did very well. We got 48 million viewers in the U.S. That's that's insane compared to today. <laughs> I've always and, kind of uh, thought that Letterman is an acquired taste anyway. Yeah, me too. I've, and I've never been in that camp. Yeah. Me neither. Not really weird, but I get, you know, it makes sense having a, a late night talk show host do this, do the Oscars. He's someone who's comfortable. Yeah. Speaking and has no problem, has like no problem with their own ego. Yeah. He's <laughs> <laughs> able to just go up there. I prefer a, this is controversial probably for some people, but I, I prefer Ricky Gervais who is going to kind of call it like it is and, and throw things out there. Um, if it's going to lean one way, I'd rather it lean um, more uncomfortable than too safe, you know? They're never going to let him within 100 nope. feet of the Oscars. <laughs> Hell no. no. <laughs> Too gritty. Too gritty. 
man. Yeah. yeah so, so yeah, D- David Letterman sets the stage here for the for, for the for the Oscars. Uh, this would be in 1995, in February of 95. And Pulp Fiction got was nominated for Best Film Editing. That would be due to Sally Menke's work. Best yeah. Director Quentin Tarantino. Best Actress in a support uh, Actress in a Supporting Role. That would be Uma Thurman's great work. Best Actor in a Supporting Role Samuel L. Jackson. Unbelievable. Best Actor in a Leading Role John Travolta. Best Picture. Thank you to um, Quentin Tarantino and Lawrence Bender. And then, uh, of course, the win for Best Writing Screenplay written directly for the screen, Quentin Tarantino and Roger Avery. Um, So like you said, uh, for this one, it just didn't take long for people to recognize its greatness uh, as far as it made it made good money. Um, People it was the the amount of merchandise that people still buy T-shirts and posters. And and then it, it also got all these nominations. And that's partly why we're starting with this movie because we have a we love this movie and it it has like oscar glory you know um for quentin tarantino's second effort as a writer director uh at a feature-length film is just it's unbelievable what he's able to do what of those do you think should have maybe maybe one like is there one that stands out to you of those that got nominated um well i think that uh I think honestly, film editing. I think that's the one that should have won uh, for the nomination. Sally Menke uh, did all of Tarantino's films up to uh, *Inglorious Bastards* before yes. her death in 2010 of *Heat Stroke*. Yeah. All things. And uh, she she did such a great job just focusing <laughs> Tarantino's love of the camera. Like he filmed everything in all of his films. He had so much that he always ended up that always ended up on the cutting room floor and she did such a great job just making all of that work and especially for a film like pulp fiction that is all about editing it's yeah she she should have taken that yeah i mean we can talk about it all day i think i I, pulp fiction specifically one of my favorite there's a lot of favorite bits and we'll get to that as we talk about the plot later on yeah our, our, our favorite scenes and whatnot but there's one of my favorite cuts is when is Zed's dead baby and they roll off on the motorcycle and you have like a, a hard cut, but it's so necessary hard. It's a hard black screen transition. And it, and it it's like, you like <laughs> that's ballsy, but it's so necessary right there to just move on from what's happening because Tarantino, I mean, I think you and I would love for things to linger forever because we love his work and we love <laughs> his dialogue, yeah. but for the movie, for the movie to craft, into the way it into what it is the the nice two hour and 30 minutes that pulp fiction is uh, you need sally's work and yeah i agree i agree with you man um uh you know obviously there's some great films that we're going to talk about shortly that came out uh in 94 as well but yeah. I, I agree with you i think i think one of the best parts of pulp fiction is how how precisely it's cut and edited um incredible stuff i also think that samuel L. jackson um just what what he does and he's on screen a lot for supporting uh there's a lot of supporting roles over the the history of the oscars where they're on the screen for such a short time uh we can point out uh, mahershala ali who's in moonlight and just doesn't have that much that much script to work with and um sometimes that's hard to weigh against a performance like samuel jackson in pulp fiction where he's so valuable and so prevalent to the script um don't get me wrong i love mahershala ali's effort in moonlight but it's hard to compare to something like this. And I, I've always looked at 
the character of Jews Winfield is kind of a staple of Pulp Fiction, uh, him and Vincent Vega. And it's just uh, unbelievable performance from Samuel L. And, uh, you know, again, as we get into the plot, we'll talk a lot about his <laughs> his his insane stuff. But um, let's get to let's get to some films that also came out that year and were nominated. Before that, I'd like to take it. Uh, I'd like to take us through the nominations and talk oh, yeah. about the what, films. Yeah. That okay, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. of course, of course, yeah, yeah. We we'll start have... with film editing, work our way up. Uh, so the film that uh, Salamanca was up against for film editing. Uh, and, and again, again, all these movies would have come out in 1994. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, Speed, The Shawshank Redemption, Hoop Dreams, and the winner. Forrest Gump. Uh, no, I've seen all. I've seen all of those. I, I I like all of those. I haven't seen Hoop Dreams, but I've seen the other four. I still I think that Sally Menke, I her stand work by on Pulp it. Fiction wins in that group. And I, I was and then I would say John Wright second for Speed. Yeah, that's a yeah. <laughs> Speed Speed is an incredible action movie. Yeah. And is and is really built upon editing and yeah all the technical stuff because the acting is good but it's not you know they're more poppy performances than really solid. I agree. Uh, Forrest Gump was the favorite of the '94 Oscars, and uh, compared to some of the other films, I just I don't think it it holds up as well as people think. Um. I don't think it should have gotten half the awards it did get. It's a good movie, but it's up against some great movies. And that's that's kind of damaging, I think, in the long run of films that have now become revered, like The Shawshank Redemption and Pulp Fiction. I think Forrest Gump didn't – it doesn't live up. And uh, I don't know. I just wish that things had gone differently at that award show. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I mean, you know me. I don't think it comes even close to Pulp and Shawshank. Not even close, as far as when you look down the line, you know, 20 years later. In this case, 25 years later, 26 years later, it's just not even close. Like the the impact that they have and how the the longevity of of fans latching onto them, new fans latching onto it. There's more and more young people who are just kind of like Forrest Gump, really, like. What's up with that? And it kind of, it, I, I think that's going to happen in the future with Green Book, with yeah. uh, Vice, Vice, Roma, The Favorite. Like, come on, man. Those are really unique, good movies. And, and Green Book just plays that shit safe, kind of like Forrest Gump does. And you, you, you just you, you leave like, that's a good movie. Good. But when it gets all of this praise, it kind of throws a little, you know, a little niche into it. <laughs> when the Oscars have always been kind of they play it safe for long periods of time before occasionally like going against the grain. And it's, it doesn't happen often. And once it does happen, it's kind of forgotten the next year. Yeah. They're always trying to kind of stay with the times, but they're pretty, uh, tone deaf most of the time. It's, uh, it's kind of weird. Um, best director. So here we Tarantino, go. This, this is a cool group. Really cool yeah, group for a, a pr- pretty new filmmaker. He was up against some titans. Uh, yeah, no kidding. Krzysztof uh, Kislowski for Three Colors Red, Robert Redford for Quiz Show, Woody Allen for Bullets Over Broadway, and the winner was Robert Zemeckis for Forrest Gump. Again. I, yeah, <laughs> that's just nuts. <laughs> I, I, how on 
earth is Frank Darabont not in that fucking group? I don't know, man. It's fucking criminal. (laughs) All right. So first off, Christoph Koslowski, I've not seen that trilogy. I want to really bad. He, he, camera buff is one of the coolest movies I've seen recently. I I would love to watch more of his movies. I, I can't say anything about that one. Robert Redford quiz show. I really like that movie. That's the first review I ever wrote for Filmgasm was for Quiz Show. Yeah. Uh, I like that movie. I respect it. Don't know if he deserves it. Uh, Quentin Tarantino. I mean, come on. Yeah. Uh, unbelievable effort. Woody Allen bolts over Broadway. That's a decent movie. I've only seen it once, but um, uh, Darabont outshines all of them. All of yeah. them. Yeah, he Shaw- does. Shawshank is built on direction and I think that is the award that it should have gotten, Shawshank. <laughs> I, I don't even know what else I would give to it. I, I do think Morgan Freeman should have won, but I um, I don't know, man. <laughs> that one blows my mind. Well, I am a – I mean, you know me. I am a huge Zemeckis fan. He has done some I, I, I of my favorite films of yeah. all time. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Back yeah. to the Future trilogy, Roof Framed Roger Rabbit, uh, Death Becomes Her. The guy basically, like, produced my childhood. Yeah, yeah. But best director for Forrest Gump, I don't get, I don't give it to him. No. I think you're right. It should have been Darabont. 100%. It should have been Darabont. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know, man. Yeah. We've talked about Shawshank. We had a really, really fun bonus episode yeah. on that one too. We. For those of you who don't know, uh, this is a companion podcast to our po- uh, Filmgasm podcast we've been doing for about a year. We are 100 odd episodes into that one. We've covered a yeah. lot of different genre films. And we wanted to do a show that was more awards focused, more uh, traditional film focused. It's something where we can kind of be a little snobby. Yeah. Same passion, just different lens. Yeah. I mean, you heard the theme music. This is going to be snobby. <laughs> Hello. And, uh, yeah. Why not? Why the fuck not? <laughs> um, yeah. And, 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 you know, it's fun because you, you and I, we, we enjoy all things film. Yes. We don't we don't see the Oscars as the end all be all like this is what decides things, but it's fun to watch because it's honoring yeah. movies and we love movies. So when you have a group of five directors and you don't have Frank Darabont for Shawshank Redemption, it's fun to be upset about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, we <laughs> were able to do both of these shows because we can have a double feature of Casablanca and Saw Six. Yeah, and just be totally cool with that. That sounds like a great Tuesday night. <laughs> Here's looking at you, kid. But we <laughs> we just wanted to kind of stretch our critical lens a bit, and uh, yeah, open the door open the door to new movies. And and, and you know, if if horror is not your thing, you know, you can steer your way over here. We're gonna do all kinds of different movies, and we'll be telling you at the end of each episode, you know, the movie we're doing next week. Yes, we'll give you all, that. That'll all be easy. Um, but what I do have is another another fun fun little group here. Best supporting actress. Best supporting uh, actress. Yeah, so so you have you know obviously Uma Thurman was uh, nominated. Then Jennifer Tilly for Bullets Over Broadway. Helen Mirren for The Madness of King George. Rosemary Harris for Tom and Viv. And then uh, you got Diane Waste that won for Bullets Over Broadway. So you got two two women up for supporting actress roles uh, for Bullets Over Broadway, directed by Woody Allen. Um, I don't have an opinion on any of those except for Uma Thurman. I haven't seen any of those films. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen Bullets Over Broadway once, but I can't really tell you, oh, Uma should have won. I, I do think Uma is amazing. She's incredible. Um, one of Another one of my favorite bits is 
I think I think might be your favorite scene is when is when she gets you know uh, gets the adrenaline shot and it's well, everything she's doing right there you believe every single move she makes yeah um, all the way up to her telling that joke finally telling the joke and <laughs> Vince Vega you know just kind of like <laughs> everything every move she makes is believable and um, that's that's the sign of a good supporting role you know for sure I wish I'd seen those films so I could have something to kind of compare. But, well, you know, that's, that's not that's, always going to happen. Yeah, that's the um, part of the point of this, too, is to stretch stretch ourselves and watch. I think you watched um, Four Weddings and a Funeral and prepped for this. I did, yes. It was the one uh, best picture nom of this group that I had not seen. So I wanted to get that out of the way for the show. And I'm glad well, I did. It was a great movie. Yeah, and we're, we're going to be talking about that one shortly. But we also have another uh, fun fun group here. Uh, best Supporting Actor. Oof. Which, oh. Yeah, you got Samuel Jackson, who was, uh, you know, good old Jules Winfield. Uh, we also have Gary Sinise for <laughs> for Forrest Gump, <laughs> Paul Schofield for Quiz Show, awesome performance, Chaz Palminteri for Bullets Over Broadway, and the winner was Martin Landau for Ed Wood. What say you about this group? I think the man who deserved to win this did win it, Martin Landau for Ed Wood. Hell yeah. Hell that is yeah. an unbelievable performance as Bella Lugosi. I am, yeah, absolutely, uh, I support that one. This happens all the time where you're like, oh, man, I have a few guys I love, but it's okay. You know, like, I I, I would have been fine with three guys winning this. You know, I think Schofield, I think Samuel Jackson's great. But Martin Landau, just yeah. absolute titan of the game. Uh <laughs> He, yeah, he's he's a legend. Consistently throughout Oscar history, best supporting actor has always been the most competitive category. It's the it's the place where character actors shine. And I don't think it should have been Paul Schofield for Quiz Show. I think it absolutely should have been John Turturro. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. That, that's fine with me too. Yeah, hell yeah. He his his role as Herb Stemple in that is so so good. And Paul Schofield kind of is. He's not really that essential to the story. I don't really know why he was nominated. Of all the incredible uh, performances in that film, it's not the one I would have picked. It's another one of those like heat check. Um, this guy's been around for a long time. Let's 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 feed him one of these. That happens a lot throughout Oscar history. Kind of like here you go. Like we'll give you one. Yeah, but um, he already won in the '60s for A Man for All Seasons. So like he already they, he had his. They they, they do this man. <laughs> They do that. They're weird. They're weird. We're always going to we're as we watch more and more of these films, um, we're going to find out more and more of these odd like, oh, man, the Oscars have always just been so off the wall with uh, with how they vote on things. <laughs> it's yeah. incredible. But at but, the end uh, of the day, they are the most prestigious film award that you can get. And that's why we talk about them like in the world. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's it's pretty incredible. Um, yeah, it is amazing that it happens, you know, right. And fucking los angeles california you know it's amazing yep. um here here's a here's a titan titan group right here uh for best actor Oof. john travolta john travolta for vincent vega who we both adore paul newman and nobody's fool <laughs> nigel hawthorne the madness of king george morgan freeman for the shawshank redemption and the winner is tom hanks for forrest gump who had just won for philadelphia yes one of the That's rare instances a, where an actor took it back to back. Yeah, back to back, incredible stuff. But Tom Hanks, I mean, he was, I mean, he still is, but he, he more so in the '90s, just the king. Yes, big time. And this was known. This was John Travolta's comeback role. He had kind of fizzled out in the '70s. You know, he was nominated for Saturday Night Fever. 
He had Grease. He was a big he was a big star in the 70s. And then in the 80s, he kind of started falling falling behind a bit. And Pulp Fiction was a chance for John to go back on top. And uh, Tarantino has done that a lot for a lot of actors. He gave it he gave Robert Forster another chance in Jackie Brown, Christoph Waltz and Glorious Bastards. He's known for giving character actors a really good meaty role to shine in. Yes. And Travolta fucking killed it in Pulp Fiction. He is I know. Oh, so good. But I do think Tom Hanks was better in Forrest Gump. That's, that's the award. Uh, that's the one that's award tough. I would have given uh, Forrest Gump as best actor for Tom Hanks. I, I I'll I'll be contrarian and say that I think Tim Robbins, who was not even there, should yeah. have beat should have beat everybody for Andy Dufresne. Um, as time has gone on, that performance is like, it makes me fucking weep. Like it, it's incredible what he does. But, uh, I, I do think Tom Hanks is incredible in Forrest Gump, but uh, it's incredible range, obviously very long movie where he's doing all kinds of stuff and it's a monumental character. So yeah, I, I definitely get that one. And if it's going to get one, that should be the one. Now, before we get to best picture, I want to go to the one that Pulp Fiction won. And yes. well, what Quentin Tarantino and Roger Avery won, which was best screenplay written directly for the screen. Now known as best original screenplay. Yes, exactly. Yes. And this would be uh, the nominations for that would be uh, Red, which is the third movie in the uh, Colors trilogy. Uh, Heavenly Creatures, that's Peter Peter Jackson and Francis Walsh. Four Weddings and a Funeral, Richard Curtis, legend. Uh, Bullets Over Broadway, Woody Allen and Douglas McGrath. And then, of course, Pulp Fiction won. I have no qualms with this. <laughs> <laughs> no, it won. It won this for yeah for a reason. It deserved it. The, sc- the screenplay shines in Pulp Fiction. This yeah, is, it, yeah, yeah. It, it really everybody quotes it. Um, there's people who kind of wear T-shirts of this. They're, they don't even know much of the movie. You know, it's like one of those things that's just like it's like wearing a Nirvana shirt. It's like Pulp Fiction is that big. It has this crazy pull on culture. And it's because of the say what again. It's all those all of that <laughs> stuff that people just love to quote over and over. Sim- similar to the Big Lebowski, where it's just like, man, it's just fun to quote this movie because yeah. uh, there's just genius lines. I I do I do want to point out. I don't know if you've seen the acceptance speech that Quentin Tarantino gives for this <laughs> award is pretty ridiculous. He goes up to the you know goes up on the stage. Uh, him and him and Roger, and they both you know look real you know real jolty and they're all over the place and just um quentin's like oh you know i figure this is going to be the only one i'm going to win so i guess i should like you know say everything at once and then he ends up just saying but i'm out and then he and then he kind of just turns and roger takes the mic and he's like uh i love my wife like thank you for everything you do (laughs) thank you everybody and they both leave the stage and that was it and that was all pulp fiction got he was right um but it's it, it certainly didn't lose in the eyes of, of cinematic history. <laughs> this, yeah. this, mo- this movie, there's a reason we're doing it for the first episode. Well, and this is one of the rare, I think the rare instance where Tarantino had a writing partner. Mm-hmm. Uh, Roger Avery is credited with the uh, stories, but Tarantino wrote the, the screenplay pretty much alone. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Roger Avery's career uh, as a screenwriter was okay. Uh, he wrote the Silent Hill movie. He wrote the Beowulf movie. Uh, but that's kind of it. Like uh, everything else really doesn't, I've never heard of it. He, this was kind of his, uh, his 15 minutes was Pulp Fiction. Yeah. 
which is cool. I mean, I would, you know, if I even had a hand in writing like one line, I would brag about that for the rest of my life. Forever. Yeah. <laughs> well, oh, yeah. It, yeah. If I was an extra for, for five seconds, I'd be like, I'm, I'm in Pulp Fiction. Yeah. There's my, there's my hand. You see my hand? <laughs> <laughs> and Incredible. that takes us to best picture. The oh, here we go. Yeah. Official, is... like the most definitive award you can get at the Oscars. And this was a very divisive group. We've got The Shawshank Redemption, Quiz Show, Pulp Fiction, Four Weddings and a Funeral, and the winner, Forrest Gump. And I don't think I'm alone in saying the winner of this award should have been The Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> Agreed. I, I, um, Pulp Fiction, as much as we can talk about it all day, and this and that, there are a couple things that we might get to later on that you can point to where it's like, hmm... That that is for a certain crowd. Um, there there's there's a certain crowd of uh, moviegoers that's not going to necessarily like certain scenes, and not just because of like violent content, just because of like morality. Um, yeah. And we're, we'll, we'll we'll speak on that. Mainly talking about Quentin Tarantino's role in Pulp Fiction is just unnecessary, and I think yeah. a lot of people a lot of people look at that as kind of like a what what was the point of that? Why would you put that in the final cut? And yeah. Shawshank, Shawshank does not have that. No, Shawshank, that film is flawless. Yeah, yeah. Shawshank has Best Picture written all over it. Uh, we'll talk about that all the time. Which one do I like better? Pulp Fiction. But I totally understand that Shawshank is probably the better overall movie. Yeah. Forrest Gump is good. It's not great. We've talked about that. Quiz Show, also good, but not great. Yeah, it's good. Funeral, good, but nowhere near the rest of these films. Yeah, it no. should not have been up for best picture. It's cute, no, it, but it is not. It's a rom com, pretty traditional. Doesn't mm-hmm. does not really deserve to be there. No, no, uh, no. I mean, I, I mean, yeah. If if that's there, then it's like, well, where's Clerks? You know, that kind yeah. of that kind of thing. Like, what's the deal? If Four Weddings wasn't there, are there any other films off the top of your head that you think should have been there? <sighs> Speed. Speed. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I know that's that's a uh, very hypothetical and far fetched because it's it's rare for a like through and through action film to be up for best picture. Yeah. But uh, if Four Weddings and a Funeral is there, then then Speed can be there. <laughs> <laughs> what what yeah, about no. you? What from '94 I, pops out to you? Hands down, The Lion King. Oh yeah, oh yes. Please go. Yeah, explain because yeah, I'm not I'm not as big of a fan, but I I love hearing because I've heard I've heard people say that like it belongs in this group. It should be the fifth one. In 1992, the Oscars made history by awarding Beauty and the Beast the first ever nomination for Best Picture for an animated film. So there was precedent. And in 94, Disney released what I think is their masterpiece, The Lion King, a film about morality, about, in a weird way, humanity. I know it's lions, but uh, there's there's a spark of humanity in this. And about accepting your destiny in a film that makes me sob every time I watch it. And I think it should have gotten some you know serious attention but you know it didn't it won uh best song so you know thank you elton john but it should have been up for best picture i think elton john um absolute titan at that time he uh, wasn't that movie up for like three songs or something uh yeah three songs it won yeah. for can you feel Let's the love see. tonight but circle of life and hakuna matata were also up <laughs> Yeah, you're right. And can you name the other two songs that were nominated? Uh, Make Up Your Mind from the paper, 
and look what love has done from junior. There you go. There you go. <laughs> My God. Randy Newman. Randy Newman. And then I think the Lion King also won best score. Yeah, Hans Zimmer won best score for the Lion King that year. I like so. that. That's an interesting group. You got Little Women, Shawshank, Interview with a Vampire, <laughs> and Forrest Gump, and then Lion King won. Yeah, it's uh, fascinating to just look at. You just pick any year. Pick uh, pick a number, uh, you know, 55th uh, Academy Awards. Just look it up um, and just scroll through because it's just a lot of fun to see. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun to see these these uh, actors in a group together, like the best supporting actor groups or the best actress groups. Like, for, for instance, right here, listen, listen to these five women. Jessica Lange won for Blue Sky. Jodie Foster, Miranda Richardson, Winona Ryder, and Susan Sarandon. Awesome. Yes. Yes, indeed. Another, like, I haven't seen any of those films. All five of those I've never seen. So I, oh, I can't tell Oh, it. dude. The client. Oh, dude. <laughs> yeah we'll we'll get we'll get to that one and look i've seen that little women i like the newer one quite a bit better but uh the client is uh yeah we'll we'll have to touch on that one at some point in the future oh yeah uh yeah yeah this is this is um quite an impactful year now is there I, real quick I, I know i think we have a couple each maybe is there a 94 film that you're just like ah it's not oscar worthy but it's just kind of like one of your movies uh clerks <laughs> so good so yeah. good hands down that movie's hilarious and i i would have given that i would have given kevin smith a nod for screenplay for that i, um, I agree i agree yeah i would also say um the mask that's a big favorite of mine <laughs> all right well yeah i'll bounce off the mask and, and and one of my favorite 94 films would be dumb and dumber uh yeah. <laughs> uh it's one of the movies that makes me laugh like every like three minutes you know and it, there's not a lot of comedies that that do that these days um we landed on the moon. Yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's a legend, legendary movie. I also think I also think that uh, actually that movie was directed by what's his name? The guy who did Green Book. What's his name? Uh, Peter Farrelly. Yeah, Farrelly. The Farrelly brothers did um, did Dumb and Dumber. And yeah. they also did something about Mary. Yeah, that's why Green Book is kind of cheesy, I think. Cause it's, <laughs> it's just got that like, oh, we're on the road. Hey, yeah, it says it's like, you know. I don't know, but just if he feels like the wrong guy to tell that story. Yes, 100 percent, 100 percent. Great performances from those two guys. We'll definitely do Green Book in the future. Oh, that's going to be a very fun episode. You are going to yeah. rip that movie a new one. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I, I got to rewatch it, though. You know, I just saw it in theaters. Yeah, 1994 was a great, a great year. There were, there were a few duds. Um, some of the films that I think uh, were just kind of. Well, and, bad from 94. I am not a fan of Natural Born Killers. I wrote that one down. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't I do not like that movie. Yeah. That film looks like a student art film made by a kid with psychological problems. It just does not click. And I cannot believe it comes out of Tarantino's mind. Oliver Stone just rewrote Tarantino's entire treatment, turned it into something ugly and he disowned it, Tarantino. And yeah, it just it that doesn't yeah. click. I do not like that movie at all. So weird. It's gross. Like Rodney Dangerfield as like a incestual stepdad. I mean, Jesus Christ. Who, who's that for? <laughs> oh man. Another one is um, John Carpenter's In the Mouth of Madness, which 
had such a cool idea, but the execution was poor. And uh, I feel like Carpenter's deal with the devil kind of died out in the mid 80s. Because <laughs> everything after that was pretty bad. And uh, in the mouth of Madness is just like Sam Neill plays a private investigator who is sent to this small town to find an author, a horror writer whose uh, work is coming to life and like killing people, apparently. And it leads him to this like Lovecraftian conspiracy to end the modern world. It's It's very weird. But some of Carpenter's best music, he never faltered with that. Oh, yeah, no, no. And um, I've been loving those videos that you sent me of Carpenter, like, playing playing his songs. Yeah, we yeah we love Carpenter here at Filmgasm. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Uh, well, are there any awards that you think Pulp Fiction should have been up for that it did not – that it was completely ignored for? Cinematography. Okay. Which would be uh, I cannot remember that gentleman's name, but he didn't he didn't work, work with Tarantino a lot. I cannot remember um, his name off the top of my head. Andres Takula. Yes, yeah, yeah. There you go. That's him. Um, he's done some very strange films, some films I don't even like. I looked on his uh, IMDb, but uh, I I find Pulp Fiction again in the film editing circle and the cinematography and just the way. The way Quentin Tarantino makes L.A. look like this just dreamland. Um, David Lynch is very good at that too. Uh, I think it's something that I think it's something that guys that are like that you know are kind of like bred in L.A. or are just good at. Paul Thomas Harrison's really good at it. Um, in Boogie Nights, he just makes you know a certain area of California seem almost seem fantasy, you know. And I think Tarantino and uh, what's his name? How do you say his name? Andres Sekulia. 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 Yeah, Polish is, must be right. I, I just think what they're doing with this movie, with Pulp Fiction, is astounding. Just from some of the shots in the car with uh, when you're with Vega and Jules, and you're seeing you're seeing these just very very normal things go by, but they're placed so perfectly. And uh, he does so many um, focus shots where the things in the background are out of focus so you don't quite see what's on the building because he's not, you know, product placement's not Tarantino's thing. All these little things that happen in these movies, I, ju- I just, um, I-, I think he should have been nominated. Maybe, maybe not one, but nominated for sure. Yeah, good call. I think uh, Ving Rhames should have been up for Best Supporting Actor. Great call. That's a great call. Yeah, I, I think Marcellus Wallace is a scary son of a bitch, and I, I love him. And, Bruce uh, Willis. Bruce Willis, yeah, he he really kills it. He gives it his all in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's my favorite role of his of his entire career. This in Die Hard. I I'm not a huge Bruce Willis fan, but he's just the oh man, his face, the entire scene, the Gimp scene, his face is hilarious because he's like, uh, he, first off he's just utterly confused, like what the fuck is going on, and then when he's about to leave and he comes back, you know, he's just like uh and. With the sword, you know, and then looks at the chainsaw. Yeah, all that is – what he does in that scene is incredible. It's it's wild. It's really wild. And, and, and same with Ving Rhames. Once he – once Marcellus Wallace comes back and he, you know, you know, pop, pumps the shotgun and is like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get medieval on your ass. Like that is an incredible scene from Ving Rhames. Yeah, for sure. He really sells this mixture of just, you know, anger, fear – embarrassment of what just happened 
and just pure seething hatred and revenge. He he is going to rip this son of a bitch apart. And you believe it. You believe it. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah. Fantastic. Oh, um, so Pulp Fiction has an IMDb score of 8.9. <laughs> Pretty amazing. Oof. Yeah, incredible. Rotten Tomatoes score of 91%. The critics' consensus says it is one of the most influential films of the 1990s. Pulp Fiction is a delirious, postmodern mix of neo-noir thrills, pitch-black humor, and pop culture touchstones. Yep. And it grossed a remarkable $214 million on a budget of $8 million. And you said it was one of the highest grossing films in 94, right? Or of, of the Oscars of the Yeah, it was, it was second of those best picture. Yeah, um, over $100 million And it, it, everything else was low. Yeah, I mean, Shawshank barely made any money in the theater. Um, and Pulp Fiction, uh, that, that IMDb score for people who use that app a lot, Pulp Fiction is ranked as the eighth eighth greatest movie of all time on on IMDb. Oh, you know what's shit? You know what's number one? What? Shawshank fucking Redemption. <laughs> Fuck yes, absolutely. Sitting, sitting at a cool nine point two. <laughs> My word. Oh man. Clash of the Titans, man. 94. Incredible. <laughs> Beautiful. We did the Shawshank Redemption as a bonus episode on the Filmgasm podcast, but eventually we will we'll probably redo it over here for you snobs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all this all the snobs out there, the Oscar the Oscar folks out there. There's not a lot left. <laughs> there are not. There are not. We're a dying breed. But uh, I think there's a lot of people who, without realizing it, if you see that shit on the poster, or the DVD case, it, it just it clicks. It something clicks in you like. Oh, Oscar, or, you know, best picture win. I might check that out now. You know, I think um, I think that there's proof, I think, with something like Moonlight, which had a second stint and made almost as much money as it did in its first stint after the Oscars because it won. Uh, and yeah. people were like, oh, that must be good. I'm going to go check it out sort of thing. Same um, thing happened with Parasite. I mean, that movie had a huge surge. Exactly. It's just about to bring that one up. I think um, that movie went from profiting to like, holy shit, we made a lot, a lot of money because of the Oscars. Um, yeah. So you, whether you like the Oscars or not, they do have a significant pull on um, on foreign films, on indie, independent films, on dramatic films. Um, I know they don't touch on horror a lot, but they do here and there. And uh, you, you bet your ass we'll be talking about those in the future. And like you said, they influence moviegoers. I mean, for, you know, forever, even no matter how shitty the films he does, John Travolta will always be known as Academy Award nominee John Travolta. Exactly. Because of Saturday Night Fever and Pulp Fiction. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you're going to see that in a preview of some movie he's going to do. And it's going to make you think, huh, maybe this is worth checking out. Yeah, well, they're selling that part of, like, who look who we have in our cast, this Oscar-worthy Oscar worthy person. Um, yeah. You, you even see it with, uh, yeah, you see it with, you go down to TV, Emmy-nominated, you know, this sort of thing. It's just, it's, just, it's always going to influence people a little bit, even if it's not a lot. Um, it doesn't necessarily influence me because I'm already, and I don't think it does you either. We're both already kind of there. Like, we don't need to be reminded that yeah. – um, 
we don't like it. We like if it says that like oh Forrest Gump Oscar winner like we don't need to be necessarily be reminded about that. But it's it's just a lot of fun to look back and kind of try to memorize. Um, I know you and I have always tried to memorize the Best Picture winners and try to watch all of the ones that have been nominated. Um, look out for specific roles that have been nominated or won. It's just something we'll always do because we you, you kind of want to be like were they right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You you kind of want to check them and um, it really felt good this past year with Parasite winning because it was like oh that 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 kind of feels right like cool all right that was a really good movie. Yes. Yes, it was. Another one I'd like to bring over from the Filmgasm podcast and do in this new light. There's yeah. A few yeah. Films. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think we'll, you know, um, Silence of the Lambs is a big one. Uh, Rosemary's Baby. You know, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely carry over um, films that we've talked about in Filmgasm and kind of connect them with it. Like you said, with a with a new lens, a little bit more snobby. <laughs> yeah. A little bit more of a critical eye. Yeah, just and there's know. nothing wrong with that. I mean, you know, filmgasm is, you know, for us as film fans, and Oscar Sunday is for us to, you know, just be Hollywood's bitch for a bit. <laughs> yeah, and d- and dig deeper, you know, and that's what we're gonna do with Pulp Fiction right now. So yeah. let's do this. Pulp Fiction. Oh, so already we have an incredible cast. We've talked about the nominees: John Travolta, Sam Jackson, Uma Thurman. But on top of that, we've got Harvey Keitel, Tim Roth, Amanda Plummer, Bing Rames, Eric Stoltz. Rosanna Arquette, Christopher Walken, and Bruce Willis. And it's just, good Lord. I mean, <laughs> he's a second-time director at this point, and he was able to assemble a cast like that. That is remarkable. <laughs> yeah, I, I adore you have the you know the Reservoir Dogs guys that carry over Keitel and Tim Roth and even Steve Buscemi who pops up at Jack Rabbit Slims. It's just <laughs> that, that kind of camaraderie that con- has continued throughout his career of people respecting his work and being like, let's just do it, man. It's going to be fun. Like, uh, it, it seems like it's just a blast to be on set with all these, these characters. Yeah, for sure. And he doesn't waste any of them. Tarantino gives everybody a moment to shine. Yes. And let's get into that. So we open in a diner in L.A. with uh, this young couple, Amanda Plummer and Tim Roth, Honey Bunny and Pumpkin, as they are affectionately known, just talking about, you know, we're not going to do it anymore. We're, I'm done. That's not happening. First line of the film is like, no, forget it. Not happening. <laughs> I love that. We see this couple in the middle of conversation. Like, this world happens with or without us. And I love that. Yeah. Yes. The idea that we're not a part of this story. We are just looking in for a bit. Of this of this insane world that Tarantino has created, not for us, but for himself. Yeah, and and, and did, hasn't he mastered that by by once upon a time in Hollywood? But hasn't he just mastered that exact thing that you just said? Yeah, it's amazing. Every single time, <laughs> I just feel like we're getting to look just for a couple hours into his into his world. It's like he didn't make a movie for awards. He didn't make it for me. He didn't make it for you. He made it for Quentin Tarantino <laughs> and we get the honor of getting to see it. <laughs> That's no, no other filmmaker does that as well as he does. Just pure unadulterated, unapologetic ego. <laughs> he doesn't give a fuck about me, about you, about anybody. He's going to do his movie his way and fuck you. If you think differently, <laughs> So American. Yeah, he, he is. As far as American cinema go, he American cinema goes modern American cinema. He is the most tenacious filmmaker we have. 
Yeah. Hands down, hands down. What he's, what he, what he did with specifically what he, what he did with Inglorious Bastards and Once Upon a Time with Hollywood, taking evil, 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 evil things and vibes from history and completely turning them upside down, fucking with them, making fun of them for their ridiculous teachings, killing them violently, violently rebelling against. It's, it's incredible the balls he has to kind of fuck with fiction. It's incredible that he's able to do that. Yeah. And nobody calls him on it. Or if they do, he doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's, yeah. There's plenty. There's, um, you know, what have you? I know the, the podcast film spotting, they've got a few panel members who can't stand him. And that's just like, whatever, man, like have fun, have fun being, um, half, you know, glasses, half, half empty all the time. Uh, Tarantino's a half glass full. It's, it's pulp. <laughs> it's pulp. He yeah. literally, he explains to you what's going to happen in his career. He explains to you <laughs> and pulp fiction is, is like, here you go. If you're on board, cool. I'll get my $200 million every time a movie comes out because my name's on it. I don't need the rest of you. We're, but you and I, Connor, we're going to always go see these movies. And so are the rest <laughs> of his fans, uh, because that's who it's for. And it's like, if you don't, if you don't like it, you know, don't watch it. You know, it's that kind of, a, it's that kind of a deal. Even when he wins Oscars, he's like, well, okay, fine. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. Sure. He's I never mean, like, oh my God, this is such a dream. He's always like, yeah, all right. Yeah, it was a good movie. <laughs> yeah, he's like, he's like, did you guys see Unstoppable with Chris Pine? <laughs> that that Tony Scott film? Yeah, have y'all seen that? Yeah. That's how it that's that's like, yeah, he doesn't care, you know? Yeah, he's he's more concerned about just like cons- always honing his craft and just getting better. Like I'll always respect him because of his he gets better. And it, even though his ego is giant, there's something there telling him to keep working um, that he's never he he still hasn't reached like a mountaintop because he's never going to because he's always going to keep learning and making better movies, uh, trying new things. And that I, I'm so grateful for his filmography. Yeah, me too, man. I every one of his films I can put on and just enjoy for two and a half hours. Me too. I, I really, I really feel, I really feel that way. I, and Pulp Fiction is like the pinnacle of that. It's like, I'll jump in at any, any moment, any scene it's on. I'm, I'll jump in. I'm like, let's go. Like <laughs> I'm in, I, I'm all in for the ride. Every, every bit is good. Absolutely. So as we get to know this couple, we realize what they do is they rob, they rob liquor stores and they rob, well, they're, they're starting to rob restaurants just because they don't want to have day jobs. <laughs> That's their whole they That's don't it. need to do this. They just don't want to work day jobs. <laughs> I love I, I love this scene. I love I love Tim Roth just explaining. I also love when he gets to have his accent and uh, just really go for it. I, I love when yeah when he's explaining he's like oh, everybody robs you know gas stations and this and that. He's like but restaurants like the manager doesn't give a shit. He's like <laughs> he he's gonna give the register over. He's like waitress they get paid a dollar an hour. She doesn't give a shit. He's like the busser. Why the hell would he care? <laughs> you know, he's explaining that no one in this establishment is going to care because of like insurance, because it'll be covered. Why would they step in front of a bullet for this place that doesn't matter to them? And so all of that being said, and then and then we don't see them. <laughs> you know, they, they stand up and he's like, all right, this is a fucking robbery. <laughs> and then you, yeah, you have an, a classic line from Amanda Plummer. All right, you pricks. <laughs> It's it, it, and, and the music, you know, um, it just jumps right off. The title cards are incredible. And you you're in you're in a world. You're in the hands of Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, you're 
you're in the hands of a filmmaker who is going to go as far as he fucking needs to go. Yes. There is no compromising with this guy. <laughs> and we've come to expect that. Yeah. But at oh, the time. Got, got used to it. Yeah. At the time, though, nobody had seen anything like this. This was a new kind of movie. It was weird. Tarantino brought a fan's eye to film. And that's, a, that's such a that's such a beautiful way of putting it, because he's always talked about you don't go to film school, watch films. That's always been his attitude, because that's how he became you know, the passionate man he is about movies. Yeah. And the student he still still is a student. And uh, I, I would love to talk about his theater in Beverly Hills later on um, as we get, to, you know, get down through this plot. But uh, th- this is yeah, like you, this is him introducing like. Here I am. I'm a, I've officially arrived because Reservoir Dogs is just not nearly as quirky as Pulp Fiction or tight. It's not as like Pulp Fiction is a, you know, to tightly wound clock. Well oiled machine. Yes, it's just mm, it's perfect. Reservoir Dogs is great, but it's a little cracked and that's to be expected. I mean, it was his first movie. And, it's still uh, it's still incredible. Yeah, it, it, it's one of the greatest debuts ever. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Straight up. And uh, so Pulp opens to the music of Dick Dale and the Deltones. The uh, Miser Lou has some surfer music. It's fucking perfect. Become iconic because of this movie. Yeah. And then halfway through the f- opening credits, we hear the radio change to Cool in the Gang's Jungle Boogie. Dan, 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 dan. Jungle Book. Yeah, and, and again, you're like, what is, what? Is, you can do that? <laughs> <laughs> you're allowed to do that in a, in yeah. this kind of a, this kind of a movie that's got, you know, clearly got good funding and is like a big production. You're just gonna like, <laughs> in the middle of your title card, just and change the radio station drastically. I, that is just such a cool touch. Oh, for sure. And then we are introduced to Jules and Vincent, who were just talking about. Amsterdam <laughs> and the differences between American uh, McDonald's and uh, McDonald's in Amsterdam because Vincent had just gotten back from Amsterdam after being there for three years. And Tarantino in real life had just been to Amsterdam. So he incorporated some of his uh, the things he noticed into his film. And it's a great introduction to these guys. I mean, these guys are hitmen for a crime boss. And our intro to his Vincent talking about what a quarter pounder with cheese is in Paris, and what do they call it? Royale with cheese. Royale with cheese. Goddamn. <laughs> I don't know why that's so cool. And what do they call a Big Mac? La Big, Big Mac. Mac. Big Mac, but they call it Le Big Mac. La Big Mac, yeah. Uh, yeah, though, the, the, I mean, that, that really, when you really think about Pulp Fiction, that's kind of the, the stuff that comes to your mind first, right, is is Vincent Vega and and Jules talking about the foot massage, talking about the Royal cheese, and then the classic lines that Jules consistently say what again? All of that is really what, like when I talk to people and you're just kind of quoting it, that's where all this shit is, you know? That's where a lot of the cultural impact is. Yeah. Well, another thing Tarantino's really good at is pointless dialogue. Like, yeah. people shooting the shit, because that's how people talk. I mean, if you have two friends who are on their way to go kill somebody for a gangster, they're not going to be talking about, you know, the morality of it. They're going to be saying, like, you know, hey, I just got back from Amsterdam. You know what they you know, they use mayonnaise over there instead of ketchup. Like they're just it's just mindless chatter. But it fits the characters so well that it it drags you in. You believe it. 
Yeah, and it's 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 all patience. It requires that patience to actually get through. Because yeah, you, you would have so many films that I, I think you and I have seen plenty of where there there may be a hitman like character or a couple guys going up to do a job and they the banter is like like what is this? These guys are like these two stupid jocks or something. Here we have actual context, actual comedy within you know within the situation humor within like a, a dark situation where uh jules says like that's not in the same ballpark like it's not in the same league it's not even the same fucking sport and they're talking about eating a girl out and a foot massage <laughs> what is going on you know and, but when you like break it down you're like like you said this is how dudes like just talk at work this is yeah. this is pe- this is people this is how people talk, and it's patient. It's dragged out because there's fucking 24 hours in a day. I think you can, you know, drag out a conversation in a movie. And Tarantino is oh so good at giving the context before we even get to the actual door where they're about to walk in. You're already you already know these guys already. <laughs> yeah, and not just that, but they're cool and they're calculated. Oh, and this yeah. is not their first hit. You get the vibe that this is something they do on a daily basis. With that, the with, with the same suits that the uh, Reservoir Dog cats are wearing. Yeah, just to, you know, like almost like this is a different side of that same uh, syndicate. Like the, Marcellus, the Los Angeles, yeah. Yeah, like Joe Cabot worked for Marcellus Wallace. That's always the vibe I got from this. Uh, yes, me too. <laughs> so cool. So over the course of this dialogue, we learn that Vincent is supposed to uh, take out marcellus wallace their boss his uh his wife for a good time because marcellus is gonna be out of town and vincent's a little nervous about doing this you know it's the big man's wife everyone's kind of like you know so you're taking me out on a date and he's constantly saying like it's not a date <laughs> it's like if you were gonna take your buddy's wife to a movie or something i was like that line yeah it's like <laughs> wait, he's trying what? to convince yeah. himself that it's not a date <laughs> which which keeps coming into play it's great yeah <laughs> god i love that bit yeah <laughs> <laughs> so they go into this uh this apartment with these uh bunch of teenagers like these you know young kids i was wondering like what the fuck did they do <laughs> to warrant this kind of treatment from marcellus wallace clearly they took this briefcase but like what was the context how did they get this briefcase and where exactly is the what is the origin of this briefcase? Yeah, I, I immediately, you know, obviously it has the classic to open is six, six, six. And yeah. I think a lot of people think it's has something to do with somebody's soul yeah. uh, being sold to the devil. A lot of people think they're the diamonds from Reservoir Dogs. That's what I subscribe to. That's what I think. Uh, I think so, too. I think because of the suits. And I think um, uh, I think uh, mm, is his name Jimmy Tarantino's character in Pulp Fiction? Yeah, yeah Jimmy. Mm-hmm. I think he is uh, – uh, who does he play? Mr. Brown? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think they might be the same person. So um, working – Mr. Brown's killed, though, in Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know how, t- how all the time works, though. I'm not, I'm not sure because Pulp Fiction, maybe it's possible that it happens prior. I don't know. I've, heard, I've read theories that it happens prior, maybe, to uh, Reservoir Dogs, but then the briefcase needs to be stolen for it to be – I don't know, man. <laughs> What I think happened is if we're talking that Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction are connected in that way, I think that the events of Reservoir Dogs went down. Everybody got shot. Yes. And these diamonds are just, you know, there. And these kids 
heard gunshots. They went over there. They found these diamonds. They took them home. Marcellus found out about this and went and sent Vincent and, and Jules to go deal with this. And maybe yeah, yeah. is Mr. Brown's like twin brother or something. That's why he okay. has this criminal connection to Jules. There you go. Yeah. In the L.A. syndicate. Yeah. Um, that's very that's very possible. I definitely think that's like more what it is. I just always question what happens when when Mr. Pink runs out, who exactly what are those other gunshots? Was it the cops? Because you feel as though the cops would have confiscated that briefcase. I, I don't know. And then I agree with you. I Those young dudes could be roaming around Los Angeles just getting something to eat uh, at the Big Kahuna Burger and uh, stumble across this briefcase and of course they would take it um but it just it just seems like he knows marcellus wallace because when he's like what does he look like and he eventually says he's black well what about this maybe brett works in police lockup ah okay okay maybe he's the like the evidence clerk and he knows about marcellus wallace because they all know about marcellus wallace he's the gangster who runs la and he took the diamonds and Marcellus obviously found out about this and went to go deal with that. I don't know. Yeah, We're just man. spitballing yeah. here. There's nothing to back this up. Oh yeah, it, it could it could all just be yeah, no connection at all. Um, but it, but it's yeah, it's very much fun to think about. And this is a great great opening scene. So let's let's continue. Uh, what's yeah. going on here in, in this apartment building? So these kids, there's three there's three guys in here and they are fucking terrified. Yeah. <laughs> and Brett is sitting at the table eating a burger and I love. How Jules is like, let me guess, you're Brett. <laughs> and he's like, yep. He's like, what do you have in burgers? Like, what kind? Like, where'd you get them? This new place, Big Kahuna Burger, which pops up again in uh, From Dust Till Dawn. That's one of Tarantino's. Yeah. Uh, he makes his own brands, which I love. Red Apple, Red Apple yeah. cigarettes, Big Kahuna Burger. <laughs> so, so cool. And um, Jules, to establish dominance, takes Brett's burger and takes a bite of it and then drinks up his Sprite. "Mm, This is a tasty burger. Like he's just, he's so unhinged and Brett is just so terrified. It's a great way to establish exactly who's in charge here. And Vincent, meanwhile, is in the kitchen just smoking a cigarette. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's at one point you have the, check out the big brain on Brett. And, you know, smart he, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, and he, you know, he asks Vince Vega, he's like, what do they call it? And he's like, Royal Cheese. Like, he he gets to quote that again while he's just kind of roaming around. Um, I love the guy on the couch. When he initially walks in, Jules walks in, he's like, no, keep chilling. <laughs> and the guy, the guy's foot is like about to hit the floor. And Samuel, ja- you know, Samuel Jackson just does that little, he, he slightly raises his hand like, no, no, no. <laughs> put your foot, put your foot back up. And then he gives him the, you know, gives him the A-OK sign. Like, all right, everybody, everybody good now? <laughs> I'm going Wait, to kill he, one of you. He asked Marvin, the guy by the, uh, by the door where the goods are. And the guy on the couch starts to answer. And Jules turns around and goes, I don't remember asking you a goddamn thing. Like, damn, <laughs> immediate yeah. change in tone here. <laughs> just, just don't, don't, don't speak unless spoken to. Yeah. And then Marvin tells him, you know, it's in the cabinet. Vincent finds it and opens the briefcase for that ominous glow that makes everyone think that it's Marcellus's soul. Yes, yes. And uh, now that they have it, Brett tries to talk his way out of getting killed here. And I love when he sit, he tries to stand up and Jules just raises his hand like, no, 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, again, you it's asserting dominance. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, of course, early on, you know, Jules Jules does the classic with his coat. He flips it up to Flash's piece. Like that is in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, we're, we're we're both strapped. So if you guys try anything, um, and and then you you have quite possibly the greatest line from the entire movie of you know, did I break your concentration? Oh yeah. <laughs> As as Jules begins to question question Brett, you know, he's eating like you said, he's eating the big kahuna burger. He takes the Sprite. Can I can I have some of this tasty beverage? You know, that all that is hilarious, you know, and then like you said, I don't remember asking you a goddamn thing. And then he's specifically talking to Brett and he's asking him, what does Marcellus Wallace look like? And he keeps saying what keeps saying what? (laughs) And then he shoots the guy on the couch. And of course, everybody's kind of like, even Vincent's kind of like, whoa. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I'm sorry. Did I did break, I break your, your concentration? concentration? <laughs> and that is that is a, that is a line that that Samuel Jackson just pulls off perfectly. And of course, Brett is now saying what over and over yeah. and over. <laughs> oh, you were finished. Well, allow me to retort. <laughs> Christ, he is so good. And in- does he look like a bitch? Then why'd you try to fuck him like a bitch? <laughs> You did. Yes, you did, Brett. So we got so we got it. We got a guy who's dying right here on the couch. Right. We got we got a guy over here by the door who's freaked out, who was told, don't I didn't ask you a goddamn thing. <laughs> and we got we got Brett here who gets shot in the leg. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and then um, and then, uh, you know, um, I'll let you talk about this uh, Bible verse here. Oh, yeah. So Brett gets shot in the shoulder after he keeps saying what and pisses off Jules. Yes. And uh Jules brings up, you know, there's this – you ever read the Bible, Brett? And he's like, no. Well, there's this passage I got memorized. <laughs> he's, holding his, he's holding his arm. No. <laughs> sort of fits this occasion. Ezekiel 25:17, And here we go. The path of the righteous man is beset on all sides by the inequities of the selfish and the tyranny of evil men. Blessed is he who in the name of charity and goodwill shepherds the weak through the valley of darkness, for he is truly his brother's keeper and the finder of lost children. And I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger those who attempt to poison and destroy my brothers. And you will know my name is the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon thee. And then he and Vincent blow Brett's brains out. Yeah. It's yeah, fucking amazing. Le- <laughs> leaving, leaving, um, f- for now, leaving a, a survivor who is um, going yeah. to be in the car with them. Yeah, Marvin. And this is and your we, introduction to Vincent and, and uh, Jules, pretty much. Yeah, this is what they do for uh, for a living here. Yeah. Yep. And then we get story number one: Vincent Vega and Marcellus Wallace's wife. And from there, we go to a strip club run by Marcellus Wallace, where he's talking to washed up boxer Butch Coolidge, telling him that he is going to throw the fight in order to get Marcellus an extra, you know, payday. And Butch is not happy about this. But this is a great intro to Marcellus because you don't see him at first. He's not in the frame. It's just zoomed in on on, uh, Bruce Willis. And he's just kind of glaring at Marcellus. And Ving Rhames plays Marcellus Wallace, and he's telling Butch about, you know, if you were going to make it as a, as a boxer, you would have made it by now. How many fights do you think you got left in you? And during all this, um, Al Green's Let's Stay Together is playing. It's, bam, mm. bam. 
Bam, bam. Yeah, incredible. Yeah. He says one of my favorite lines in the movie is, uh, the night of the fight, you might feel a sting. That's pride fucking with you. Oh, and we... Fuck pride. <laughs> and we get that line later in the pawn shop. Hell yeah. <laughs> Goddamn. Uh, in the fifth, your ass goes down. Let me hear you say it. Yeah. In the fifth, my ass goes down. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Pack red apples. Yeah. Jules and Vincent walk in wearing, like, shorts and T-shirts. Something happened there. <laughs> and, uh... Butch goes up to talk to or to get some red apples and <laughs> he's Vincent staring at him just to instigate some shit. Butch says, you looking at something, friend? And he says, I ain't, I ain't, you ain't my friend, Palooka. <laughs> Such a weird <laughs> thing to say. I think you heard me just fine, Punchy. <laughs> I love Butch. Then <laughs> oh, Vincent calls, uh, I mean, uh, Marcellus calls Vincent over and they Exchange the briefcase. All's good. <laughs> and uh, then we go see uh, Vincent go over to uh, pick up some heroin from his buddy Lance, <laughs> played by Eric Stoltz. <laughs> and this this guy's so weird, but so believable as an L.A. drug dealer in the mid-90s. Especially, like, especially a guy who's like, <laughs> I love I love Lance possibly my favorite character of the entire entire movie he's incredible when he's explaining like oh man like heroin's back you know like and he's right as dead he's right like you like as far as like celebrities and popularity you know like in in los angeles like in the 70s heroin had this had this crazy where it's like oh my god look at the power of this and in the 80s you know cocaine has this insane surgence um and then in the nineties due to like all the the music scene and whatnot, heroin just was like cool to do. It was like, it, it was like totally acceptable to like just drive around on the highway on heroin. Um, and I hope that doesn't repeat itself. I hope the nineties don't happen again in that regard. No, nah, I don't right now. The big one's meth. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Yeah. There's whole States that, that are, have problems with that shit. Yeah. Well, Lance is, I mean, you can tell, you know, him and Vincent have a relationship. They, he's been buying from Lance for a while. He's a friend. And uh, Lance introduces him to this new shit he got, this uh, stuff from, uh, 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 was it Germany? Choco from Germany. Germany. Yeah, because yeah, he, he has, yeah, I, God, I love that. When he has three different kinds and he's like, oh, <laughs> the first, yeah. Yeah, the, the first two are about the same. But this third one, it's a little more expensive. But you're going to know where that extra money went when you put <laughs> I'm <laughs> just like, just totally casually talking about heroin. It's it's incredible. It's amazing. And I love Vincent's like, well, I just got back from Amsterdam. And he's like, look, I'll take the fucking Pepsi challenge with that Amsterdam shit any day of the fucking week. Vincent's like, that's a bold statement. <laughs> I'll take the Pepsi. Yes. Yes. God, Lance is incredible. And Vincent buys some grams of this, this Choco, which Lance calls the madman because it fucking kicks. From the Alps in Germany. <laughs> yeah. This is, oh my God. Oh boy. And he puts it in a uh, in a baggie instead of a balloon, which is important later, because Mia is a cokehead and she thinks you know typically heroin comes in a balloon, coke comes in a baggie, so that's why she's so quick to snort this shit because she thinks it's coke. 
especially that amount of like you know that he's just casually carrying yeah heroin that is a heroin around of heroin that he's just yeah has <laughs> he has enough heroin to like to like you know for like a whole grunge party or something like yeah. it's like he's got it's just in his trench coat like here we go you guys ready to party Crazy. he's got enough heroin to kill at least five rock stars yeah yeah that's that's mostly where i was getting at yeah <laughs> He, yeah, I love that he's talking about, like, he buys some from uh, Lance, and he's like, you mind if I shoot up here? And he's like, nah, Mikasa es su casa. And just, Vincent pulls out a kit and starts putting his shit together. And uh, they're talking about uh, Vincent's car that recently got out of, uh, like, he, he got it out of uh, storage, and he says somebody keyed it. And there's a theory going that uh, Butch is the one who keyed Vincent's car because <laughs> he pissed him off at Marcellus's place. <laughs> Well, he definitely gets him later. Yeah. So. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then we just see Vincent driving through L.A. at night, just you know, stoned out of his mind on heroin, just enjoying yeah. breeze. <laughs> I mean, this guy must have some fucking tolerance if he can do that shit and go for a drive. <laughs> I I love I love like uh, the idea. Yeah, he's like Mikasa Sukasa. <laughs> let's just do some drugs together you know and uh, you know and yeah then he just drives off like oh i got this shit to do like you have this shit to do you have to go take care of like you said the wife of yeah the runner of the los angeles you know crime syndicate so i, I don't think you should just be on heroin but like you said vincent vegas tolerance is, is through the roof yeah well he's been in amsterdam taking some heavy shit yeah, he say he says, uh, what does he say? Three years, he says to um, yeah, to Mia. Uh, yeah, to Mia while they're at dinner. Yeah. And so he goes to pick up Mia, and uh, Mia's getting ready, and the song uh, "Son of a Preacher Man" by Dusty Springfield starts playing. Another iconic music moment from Tarantino's world. And we see Mia is a cokehead. She snorts up before they get ready to go, and. Uh, they go to this restaurant called Jack Rabbit Slims, this like old Hollywood themed restaurant, which I really don't like that. I, I really wish it was a real place. It looks like such a cool. I know, joint. man. <laughs> I know. I, w- I would definitely try to get a reservation there. And they go in there and uh, the waiters are all dressed as 50s icons. There's a dude as a uh, playing Ricky Nelson doing some music. The uh, the uh, host looks like uh, Ed Sullivan. And they sit in the car, and Buddy Holly is their waiter, and it's a brief cameo by Steve Buscemi, which is just fucking awesome. And uh, Mia orders a $5 shake, and Vincent's a little bit like, he's incredulous, like, that's a milkshake, that's milk and ice cream, that's $5. He don't put bourbon in it or anything, and he's like, Just making sure. (laughs) And uh, later on, when the milkshake comes, he's like, can I try that? I gotta know what a $5 milkshake tastes like. And he drinks it, and he's like... God damn, that's an amazing fucking milkshake. <laughs> he loses his shit over this milkshake. Well, yeah, he's on heroin. It probably tastes fucking amazing. <laughs> God damn, I love it. We used to work at the uh, the Alamo Draft House here in Texas, and for the longest time on their menu, they had the five dollar milkshake and a Royale with cheese. Yeah. And this movie has influenced their menu more than any movie. And I love that. And they still have the Royale with cheese. The milkshake is gone. I mean, they still have milkshake, but it's not the five dollar shake. It's more like the eight fifty shake now. Great pulp, bastards. Pulp, pulp Fiction <laughs> is like the definition of a Alamo Draft House movie. You know, it's um, yeah. just one of those kind of badass cinema movies. Yeah. 
just I I worked a screening of it once and they uh, they handed out they had gourmet coffee and um, a big, big kahuna burger. It was their Royale with cheese, but they added pineapple to it. That's great. That's yeah. great. It was pretty cool. <laughs> uh, so they do the uh, the twist competition. Another iconic moment. They do a, they dance the twist to Chuck Berry's You Never Can Tell. They win. They get the trophy. They go back home and there's there's a spark. Ooh, is Vincent going to cross the line with Mia? Probably, yes, if Mia hadn't snorted all that heroin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Vincent goes into the bathroom to uh, psych himself out of what he's thinking of doing here. And Mia puts on some Urge Overkill, the song Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon, and starts kind of fidgeting around in Vincent's jacket that she's wearing, and she finds a baggie full of mysterious powder. And she takes it upon herself to just have a personal party with that shit i love vincent's in the bathroom just talking to himself like this is a test to see if you can maintain loyalty because loyalty is very important like he's just <laughs> he's giving himself a pep talk and, and he's to don't fuck the boss's daughter i mean why don't do that just don't do that man <laughs> that's that that's the this is the scene where i think got him the oscar nomination man i think um i think his work f- f- with this whole bit of him doing heroin to the the stuff he's doing at Jackrabbit Slim is like, fuck, that's a pretty good milkshake, you know? And then to this, to all the way to this, it, it's just remarkable. Yeah. <laughs> what did you say? You're going to go out there, say goodnight, go home, jerk yeah. off, and that's all you're going to do. <laughs> Finish your drink. <laughs> Don't be rude. Drink your drink, but do it quickly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be rude. Yeah, incre- incredible stuff. Yeah. And then, and then he, he, you know, comes out to a um, nearly over, pretty much overdosed yeah. uh, Mia. It's a freaky scene. It's done really well. Mia snorts the line of heroin. It's way too much for her. She starts bleeding out of the nose and then just passes out on the floor. Vincent comes out and is like, oh, fuck me. He's so terrified. And he grabs Mia, puts, in, puts her in his car and starts driving to Lance's house. <laughs> Yeah. Lance, yeah, he calls Lance and who doesn't answer the phone immediately. He waits for the phone to ring like eight times. He's like watching cartoons, eating, eating Fruit Loops. Yeah, it's a fake cereal called Fruit Brute. <laughs> wow. I was, just taking, I was just taking a guess. I, I yeah, I didn't know what kind of cereal. That's great. Pretty close. <laughs> that's that's amazing. So he's talking. He's, to, he, he just seems like a Fruit Loop kind of guy. You know, just he's <laughs> always high off his ass. Oh, Fruit Loops. Yeah. <laughs> well, he calls Lance and tells like, I got this. Chick, she's ODing on me, man. And he's like, well, don't bring her here. Are you crazy? She's like, she's fucking dying on me, man. Like, when you bite the bullet, you call a lawyer and you go to a hospital. Yeah. It's like, fuck it. Fuck you, man. I need help me. I'm coming there. I'm coming there. And he's like, wait, are you coming calling from a cellular device? <laughs> Who is this? Prank call. Prank call. I don't know you. Who is the prank caller? I love that. And then <laughs> immediately after, Vincent shows up and runs right into Lance's house and starts dragging Mia onto the lawn. What the fuck are you doing? You just drove into my house. He's like, do you know who Marcellus Wallace is? <laughs> oh, man. I love he stumbles a bit. Like, if you do not help, I will be forced to tell him that you let her die. Like, he, Vincent's falling apart right now. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Because he's Mr. Cool. And this yeah. is, you know, this is fucking with his night. Yeah. The, like, worst fucking thing he could have done <laughs> is let Mia die while Marcellus is out of town. So he they drag her in and... Lance is like, all right, we got to give her an adrenaline shot. He's trying to find his little black medical book. Takes to get again. 
goes to get the shot and Vincent keeps calling him back and he's like, get the shot, get the shot. I, oh my God. It's so fucking tense. No matter how I, many times I see this movie. Iconic. This scene is so punk rock too. Cause you have these, yeah, you have these such ragtag people, all these junkies hanging out, <laughs> just like trying to figure out a way to get this girl, you know, back to life. Like, it's incredible. Lance comes back with the shot and tells Vincent, like, he has to do it. And Vincent's like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give her the shot. You give her the shot. It's like, no, man, you brought her here. You give her the shot. The day I bring an Odin bitch to your house, I'll give her the shot. <laughs> That's such a, I can't, I love when he does the, the motion. He does it three times. Like, I got to stab her three times. No, it's just once. You just got to do it hard enough to get to the breastplate. <laughs> then what happens? Well, I'm kind of curious about that myself. This isn't a joke, man. Just tell me. I want him. I got to kill her. What? <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of curious about that myself. God, and then we have the one of the most iconic scenes in the film where Vincent just rams that thing down into Mia's chest and brings her back. It's crazy, unbelievable. <laughs> and unbelievable. once they realize Mia's okay, Vincent just collapses in relief. My say Lord. something, something. <laughs> he takes her home. Barely a word is exchanged, and she te- she tells that joke finally from the yeah. the Jackrabbit Slims the pilot joke finally. The pilot that sounds a lot like Kill Bill. <laughs> it, yep, we can talk about that later or right now, whatever you want, because it's definitely, definitely Kill Bill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, oh, Vincent's like, all right, well, if you excuse me, I'm gonna go home and have a heart attack. <laughs> he's just, he's had enough for one night, and they agree not to tell Marcellus about what happened because he's gonna fuck both of them up if he finds out about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. smart. More- more Vincent than Mia, but yeah, she's going to get a reprimanded and he's going to get buried somewhere. <laughs> and uh, that's our first story. We follow that with the gold watch. And this is such a weird fucking story. But you know what? It's great. <laughs> I I absolutely adore this stretch so much. Yeah. Oh, boy. So we open on an extremely racist looking cartoon that uh, young Butch is watched is watching in 1973. And a soldier, Captain Coons, played by Christopher Walken, shows up to tell Butch about the story of his father's watch. It belonged to Butch's great grandfather, who took it to World War One with him. Butch's grandfather took it to World War Two. And Butch's father took it to Vietnam. This is a legacy watch, his birthright. It's the weirdest story to tell to a child. (laughs) And Christopher Walken telling it, too. Like, I stuck this up my ass for two years. (laughs) He's talking about, he says so many racial slurs about the Vietnamese. Damned if any slope's going to get their hands on my son's watch. Like, it's so fucked up. Uh, well, what he had to do, he hid the watch. The only place he could hide something is ass. (laughs) Just so (laughs) matter of factly, (laughs) he had this, he hid this watch up his ass five years. He died of dysentery, probably from hiding the fucking watch up your ass. (laughs) (laughs) You give me the watch. I held this uncomfortable hunk of metal up my ass two years. I come home to my family and here I am. The watch, little man, is yours. <laughs> it's such a fucking weird scene. <laughs> but it's so good, and it explains perfectly why Butch goes to the ends of the fucking earth to get this watch back. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> it, again, patience. Yeah. Now, little man, 
the watch is yours. It's oh my god, I could I could talk like him all day. I love <laughs> I I love Christopher Walken, especially this era. Oh, without a doubt, man, I fucking adore Walken. I mean, yeah, he had just done True Romance, so you know, come on. Who am I? I'm the Antichrist. <laughs> you got me in a vendetta kind of mood. <laughs> Oh, my God. Best line, best line Tarantino has ever written. <laughs> yeah, argument could be made for sure. Oh, you're a cantaloupe. Anyway, um, yeah. <laughs> so Butch wakes up from the, this dream he had about the watch, and he goes to fight uh, Floyd Ray Wilson, kills him in the ring, does not throw the fight, fucks up Marcellus's whole game. He gets the hell out of there, calls up his bookie, who uh, he bet on himself to win, and now he's going to collect a huge payday. And uh, he goes to hide out with his girlfriend, Fabian, in a motel. And there's a theory that Fabian is pregnant here, which explains yeah. quite a lot of his motivation. And uh, we see Vincent get called to Marcellus's office. And Marcellus wants Butch. De- he wants his ass. Like, it is personal. He fucked over Marcellus personally. And we don't. Jules isn't with him anymore. We'll find out why at the end. So Vincent is sent alone to go deal with Butch. Like how I love the, the one guy asks Marcel is like, how far are you willing to take this? And he's like, I'm willing to scour the earth for the motherfucker. Like this is this personal shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, rightly so. I mean, we saw them have the conversation, and he's like, your ass goes down in the fifth, and he says, my ass goes down in the fifth. You don't fuck over Marcellus. We saw what happened with Brett. You did not screw over this guy. So. In the morning, uh, the plan is to get on a train, go to Knoxville, collect the money, then leave the country. But Fabian, when she was packing, forgot the watch. Butch freaks the fuck out over this, throws the TV across the room in the hotel room, and scares the shit out of her. And then he has to go back to his apartment, which is being watched by gangsters, to get this watch. Yeah. He goes back to his apartment. He goes inside. And... It's seemingly empty, so he grabs the watch, puts in some Pop-Tarts, and finds a silenced Uzi on his kitchen table. <laughs> oh, my God. And uh, he picks up the gun. We hear the toilet flush, and Vincent comes out of the bathroom to see Butch holding his gun. And he just kind of freezes. He has no words. <laughs> Vincent Vega, expert hitman, dies in the stupidest way possible. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I love. I mean, it's an amazing touch as the the the, the little like pop tarts come out of the toaster. It's like bam, you know, the shot happens. Yeah, it's just incredible. It's just an awesome little touch. And that that scene is some of my favorite. Back to to Sally's work on the the uh, film editing yeah, when yeah. he's when he's walking into that apartment. That whole bit is so fucking Los Angeles, and it's so like gritty. And uh, Tarantino obviously has like a a romance with the city of Los Angeles. It's like I I adore following Butch going through that like apartment complex and just kind of like always on the lookout. I could watch a movie, a two hour movie of just Butch on the run. Yeah, he's he's a character I'd like to revisit. Uh, all, all of, I could watch a Vincent Vega movie uh, of him in Amsterdam. I could watch yeah. a Jules Winfield movie uh, just in Inglewood. Yeah, man, it's all these characters have so much depth off of just like. Five minutes of honest, you know, context, you know, real conversations. Yeah, for sure. So Butch kills Vincent, big shocker in the middle of the movie, and wipes down the gun and leaves. 
and now thinks he's home free. He beat the gangsters, and he's driving home, driving back to the um, the motel. He's got his watch. He's listening to some Statler Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> Flowers on the wall. Great song. It is it is an awesome song. I listen to that one in the car a lot. Just like uh, I, yeah. I'm Butch. <laughs> and as he's driving back, who should walk in front of his car but Marcellus Wallace himself, holding coffee and donuts. He went with Vincent. <laughs> he was the one who took took Jules' place for this job. I'm gonna do this yeah. personally. I love that bit where they just connect eyes. And Marcellus. Motherfucker. And Butch is like, are you fucking kidding me? And he just drives right into Marcellus, knocks his ass out. He gets T-boned. And oh, we see then from Marcellus' point of view, he wakes up. There's a bunch of people surrounding them like, hey, man, if you need someone to go to court, I will. I saw like, I saw the whole thing. <laughs> and then he takes out a gun, starts chasing down Butch, yeah. shoots some girl. And they just start... <laughs> having a limp oh chase down God. the streets of LA. <laughs> Incredible. He's like, like, yeah, that man, that man just hit you and drove off. Who? Him. <laughs> I'll be damned. And he pulls out this like fucking hand <laughs> cannon. It's this like Beretta. Yeah. Just like, Hey, you know, it's like got Chrome, you know, it's like Liberace's AK 47. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he, and yeah, it just proceeds to open fire on, on in the middle of this street. And that is that is one of the most breathtaking scenes of the whole movie when Ving Rhames is swaying this big, giant, brooding force, like, boom, boom, yeah. going down that alleyway. And Bruce Willis runs up against the wall, hides, and he's like, oh, shit. They both <laughs> they got shooting. bruises, breaks, and concussions, yeah. but they are fucking determined. Both both limping, and then finally, you know, finally, um, Bush decides to just dive into a pawn shop. Yep. Which uh, which wound up being the dumbest decision he could have made. Fuck yeah, man. God, just because Fabian forgot the watch, this whole fucking day happens. And yeah. uh, Marcellus goes in the pawn shop, follows him. Butch grabs him, puts him to the ground, starts punching him. Feel that sting, big boy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's pride. <laughs> fucking with you. Just boom. <laughs> oh, <my God>. oh. <laughs> And he goes Bruce. to shoot him. He puts his gun to his head, and the pawn shop guy, Maynard, whips out a shotgun and tells Butch to step away. And Butch is like, you don't understand, man. Like, he's trying to just let me kill this guy, please. And uh, Maynard knocks out Butch. Marcellus is already knocked out. And this is when it gets weird. This is the scene that a lot of people have issues with this movie. Like, it keeps them from watching it. I know my mom is one of those. She hasn't seen this movie in over 20 years because of this scene. And uh, I get it to an extent, but there's so much about this movie that's so great. If you can just kind of let this go. (laughs) Yeah, and, and this, I, I just, I, I, yeah, I understand it. I just think what ends up happening is, is, is like kind of rewarding. Um, when, when, you know, we'll get into it. We'll just, we'll just start talking about it. But I, I do think what yeah. Butch does is rewarding. So Maynard calls his cousin Zed, played by uh, Peter Green, one of the creepiest weirdos of the 90s. <laughs> and he, Zed shows up and, then we we open to Butch and Marcellus tied up with ball gags in their mouths in the basement of this pawn shop. And all, if you've never seen this, you are like very much caught unaware, freaked out. Like what just what did this movie just turn into? And uh, Zed starts, you know, he he tells Maynard to bring out the gimp. Like what the fuck? And they they get this guy out of a fucking box who is in full. S&M gear, leather, you know, shit, just 
it's a you, you you know what it is. If you know what yeah. it is, you do. If you don't, I don't have time to explain it to you. <laughs> yeah, neither do I. I don't really I don't really feel like it either. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> Zed Zed starts doing eeny meeny miny mo to pick who he's gonna have his way with first, and he picks Marcellus, and they drag Marcellus into this other room, and Butch is just like. He doesn't know how to process this. Yeah, the door's closed. Now it's just just him and the Gimp. Yep. And he's like, I, I'm not having this. No. And my favorite track on the soundtrack starts playing. It's so tense, man. That that oh, it fits the situation so good. So you hear Mar- uh, Zed and Maynard just getting it on in the other room. You hear muffled screams from Marcellus and Butch manages to break his chair. Punches out the gimp, goes upstairs, and is about to leave the pawn shop before having a bit of a attack of conscience where he's like, I, I can't – I wouldn't do this to my worst enemy, which is exactly what's happening because Marcellus is his worst enemy. Mm-hmm. He's like, no man deserves this. So he goes behind the counter to grab a weapon, and I love his search for a weapon. He grabs a hammer. Nah, he picks up a – Baseball bat. Baseball bat, and he picks up a little chainsaw. And he's and like, ah. Uh... He looks off to the side and you see his eyes go like, yeah. And he picks up a fucking samurai sword. <laughs> Did you get more Tarantino than that? My God. <laughs> fucking kill Butch up in here. Oh, man. <laughs> so Butch goes downstairs, sword in hand, opens the door, gets Maynard from behind. He opens the door to see uh, Zed just straight up raping Marcellus. Jesus. And Maynard's like, he likes to watch. It's fucked up, man. It's weird. It's disgusting. Yeah. And Bush just kills Maynard with the sword, catches Zed with his pants down, literally, tells him to go for the gun. And he's like, come on, big boy. Come on. There you go. Oh, that a boy. <laughs> <laughs> and you just you see Marcella stand up behind Butch and cock a shotgun. And he just like step aside, Butch. <laughs> and Butch steps aside and Marcella shoots Zed right in the dick. <laughs> Immediate boom. Blast you his ass across the room. You hear me, hillbilly boy? I ain't through with you by a damn sight. I'm going to get medieval on your ass. That might yeah. be my favorite line in the movie. That all the, that whole Ving Rhames bit. And you got and Bruce Willis is holding the sword like like he's a samurai. Like, boom, you know, just locked in. He's also holding it like, am I going to have to use this on Marcellus next? Exactly. He's like, now I took care of that, but we're still not like cool. Yeah. Which which then Marcellus does even, you know, he does like respect the like code of man, but he's like you may you no longer have Los Angeles privilege. You do not come to this city and you never uh, tell anybody about this. Yeah, it's between it's between me, you and and Hillbilly Boy right here. What yeah, is like it? Mr. Soon to be living the rest of yeah. his life in agonizing pain, rapist here. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm not through with you by damn sight. Yeah. Butch asks, what now? And he's like, let me tell you what now. I'm going to get a couple of Hard big old pipe hidden. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's insane. It being going to work on this guy with a pair of pliers and a blowtorch. Yeah, yes, Fuck. exactly. Yeah, it's it's a work it's a work of art from Ving Rhames right there. All that. <laughs> like, but what a, like, what a knock down the totem pole, man. Like the most feared man in L.A., got ass raped by a security guard and only butch knows about this so this would destroy marcellus's street cred like 
obliterate he would he would cease to be Marcellus Wallace. So I think given Butch, you know, carte blanche, they like, you know, fuck off. I won't mess with you. You don't tell anybody about this. Makes sense. And it's, you know, it's good for both of them. <laughs> yeah. Fuck, man. <laughs> no. It's it it, 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 you know, I, I have a hard time saying it, but th- this is, that's my favorite chunk, chunk of the movie is the, from the moment that he decides, oh my God, I have to go back to get this damn watch. Yeah. And, and he, he, he finds the gun. He, he ends up killing Vincent Vega, thinks he's free, runs into Marcellus. They have this incredible showdown in the middle of the streets of Los Angeles yeah. into a, into a pawn shop where we go down this rabbit hole of nasty underground Los Angeles. Um, and then we have a two rapists get murdered. It's like, okay, cool. Yeah. Fuck those guys. You know, like that's what, and Tarantino does that so often where he's like, it's going to get dark for a minute, but I'm going to kill these fuckers, you know? Yeah. Without a doubt. So they, he takes off on Zed's motorcycle, goes and picks up Fabian and she's like, what happened to my Honda? And she's like, I'm sorry, baby. I had to crash that Honda. <laughs> He's like, who's, who's chopper is this? Zed's. Who's Zed? Zed's dead, baby. Zed's Bam. dead. And then drives off. Like, that's Butch's story. <laughs> what the fuck, man? You could- it's so good. <laughs> and now we have story number three, the Bonnie situation. And uh, this might be my favorite. I, I don't know. Um, it, 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 it changes from time to time. So Thanks. we go back in time three days earlier, right after Jules and Vincent killed Brett, took the briefcase. We see another guy that nobody said was, uh, was in there has been hiding in the bathroom with a fucking Magnum. And after Jules kill and Vincent kill Brett, this guy bursts out of the bathroom going, die, you motherfuckers, and <laughs> shoots him and misses all, all six shots. And Jules and Vincent look at themselves like, OK, and then blast him and blow him away. <laughs> and, and that's when Jules is like, oh, this is a sign from God. Like, we should be fucking dead, man. <laughs> oh, and Jules has a straight up change of heart. He realizes, you know. This was a miracle. God intervened. This is a sign. I have to, you know, do his will. And Vincent's like, are you fucking kidding me? It was a freak occurrence. <laughs> like, no. Like, he just is completely like, why are you doing this, Jewel? He's so in- incredulously bothered. And uh, they leave the apartment with Marvin. And, uh, oh, I didn't realize that. According to the uh, plot summary on IMDb, Marvin is Marcellus's inside man. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and I, I, because he says at one point he's like, I'm so fucked, I'm so fucked. Um, after the whole incident happens at the beginning, I always wondered why they like, because you know Tarantino puts everything in for a reason. Yeah. So I, was like, I always wonder why they pan to Marvin when he's like, I'm so fucked, I'm so fucked. Like it must be, yeah, it must be something. I don't know. Maybe he's not. Maybe he's not the inside man. Maybe that's just something they put in there. I don't know. I never caught that vibe from that movie. I, I never caught the vibe, but if it, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's hard. It's hard. Yeah. Marvin's played by a uh, voice actor, Phil Lamar, by the way. Uh, he's he plays a lot of superheroes. He's a great, really talented voice actor. Uh, so in the car, Jules and Vincent are arguing about what happened. Jules is convinced it was an act of God. And Vincent's like, look, this shit happens. It's freaky, but it happens. Like, this is our line of work. Weird shit's going to go down. And Jules is like, I don't want you demeaning this. I know what I saw. 
And Vincent turns around and asks Marvin, like, what is your opinion? And he's like, I don't even have one. And he's like, well, you have to have an opinion. I mean, it might not be, you know, you might not match with what we think. And I don't know what happened, but Vincent fires it by accident and blows Marvin's head off. It's, oh, man, I shot Marvin in the face. Yeah, the whole car fills with blood. <laughs> oh, and Jules like, why the fuck you do that? I didn't mean to do it. It just happened. And like, the fuck just happened? What? <laughs> and they're like, like we got to get this car off the road. Yeah, mind you, we're in a, you know, the, it's broad daylight. <laughs> Cops tend to notice things like a car is covered in blood. He's like, <laughs> Vincent's like, well, like, don't, do we have anybody? And Jules is like, this is the valley. I don't know. Any, I don't have any friends out here. Like, maybe I know this one guy, and if he's not home, I don't know what the fuck we're going to do. And he calls Jimmy, a colleague of his, and says he needs to use his garage for a little bit. So they go to Jimmy's house, and Jimmy's played by Quentin Tarantino. And uh, Jimmy's pissed, <laughs> obviously. Rightly so. There's a dead body and a blood bloody car in his garage. Jules and Vincent are covered in blood, drinking his coffee. <laughs> and... Jules is commenting on the deliciousness of the coffee and Tarantino, who's a great filmmaker, but a terrible fucking actor, tells him, no, stop, stop complimenting my coffee. I, I'm the one who buys it. I know how good it is. I'm not concerned about the coffee. I'm concerned about the body in the garage. He didn't say body. He uses this opportunity to drop as many end bombs as possible for no real reason. Yeah, it just doesn't obviously not age well. It, it didn't age well when it came out. Yeah, it's in pretty poor taste. It doesn't really need to be there. I feel like Tarantino just wanted an excuse to say the N-word on camera and get away with it. <laughs> yeah, to be like as abrupt uh, and controversial as possible. Yeah. Yeah. He's never been one to shy from controversy, but this is just in it's, it's in poor taste. It's un, it's uncomfortable and uh, it's unnecessary. So Jimmy says that his wife, Bonnie, is going to be coming home from a night shift at the hospital in like an hour. So they have to get rid of this shit in an hour. So Jules calls Marcellus to explain, like, look, this is what we got to do. And he's aggravated. And Marcellus is like, look, I'm on this motherfucker. I'm going to call the wolf. Y'all stay, you know, frosty. And Jules is like, shit, that's all you had to say. <laughs> and he's immediately in good spirits. Yeah, he's like, oh, the wolf. All right, man. Yeah. So we meet Winston Wolf, problem solver. One of the coolest characters that Tarantino's ever made. This inexplicable, like, crime boss superhero dude who just shows up to fix things. And it's this he's played by Harvey Keitel, of course. Exquisitely. Yeah. He's we we meet him at like a a I don't know, a party or something. He's wearing a tuxedo and he's writing down the names of everybody and he's like, It's thirty minutes away, I'll be there in ten. <laughs> and he just drives up in this Acura in nine minutes and 40 seconds. It's fucking awesome. I don't know how he did that, but it's awesome. <laughs> and uh, he goes in to talk to Jimmy, says, you know, this is the plan. He compliments Jimmy on the coffee. <laughs> yeah, which is perfect. What a touch. Must be good coffee. And uh, gives Jules and Vincent some orders, tells him, like, get to work, gentlemen. Vincent lashes out. A please would be nice. <laughs> the balls. And Wolf turns around and is like, look, I talk fast. I, I I think fast. I need you to act fast if you want to get out of this. So pretty pleased with sugar on top. Clean the fucking car. <laughs> I love that line. Pretty pleased. Uh, so there, Jules and Vincent are cleaning the car, and Jules is fucking pissed. He is yeah. just on Vincent the whole time. <laughs> Vincent's like, look, 
I have a threshold for the amount of abuse I will take. <laughs> uh, Jules is like, really? Well, I'm a mushroom cloud laying motherfucker, motherfucker. I'm super fly TNT. I'm the guns of the Navarone. In fact, what the fuck am I doing in the back? You're the motherfucker should be on brain detail. <laughs> God. God. <laughs> it's so that's perfect. The best, that's the best page of the script. Just <laughs> what is all this? <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> oh man. So they're successful in cleaning the car. They strip and wash themselves off and they wear these dorky clothes. That's why they were dressed in uh, shorts and T-shirts the, uh, back at the beginning. And uh, they, the wolf gets the car over to Monster Joe, uh, junkyard guy, and uh, all is well. Everybody's Everybody wins. Everybody's fine. Now that their situation's resolved, Jules and Vincent go to have breakfast and where they continue talking about miracles. And they have that little bit of dialogue where they talk about uh, filthy animals, which I always liked. I don't. It's just mindless chatter that you would have with your best friend. Like, yeah, you know, like, well, if that, like that logic. Well, then this, you know, it's just more Tarantino knowing how people talk. Yep. Yep. Knowing yeah. how, knowing how two dudes just like are like, we just want to pass the time. Yeah. Jules doesn't eat pigs because he considers them filthy animals. And <laughs> Vincent has so many problems with Jules' lifestyles. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Everything Jules does, Vincent has to question. <laughs> What's the reasoning for that? Yeah. So he, Jules continues talking about the miracle and uh, says that now that he knows what he's supposed to do, he's going to tell Marcellus he's out. He's going to give away his department. He's going to walk the earth like Kane and Kung Fu, he says. And uh, Vincent's like, so you're going to be a bum? And Jules is like, well, no, I'm going to walk the earth to wherever I'm needed. You're like, yeah, Vin- yeah, Jules, that's called being a bum. <laughs> like, if you have no house, no job, no like, no money, you're a bum. <laughs> He's really just hammering this home. Just laying into him, yeah. <laughs> and uh, he, Vincent gets up to take a shit, and Jules says, like, Vincent's like, look, let me tell you something. When, when did you decide to just give up your entire life? Like, right here while you're eating the muffin? Jules like, yeah, I was eating my muffin, and I decided to leave the life. To be continued. And he goes away. And in the background, we hear Tim Roth yell, Garcon, coffee. It's the scene from the beginning of the movie. Cyclical. Perfect. Ah, coming back around. Yeah. So they stand up, start robbing the restaurant. And they get everybody out. They start collecting wallets. Tim Roth gets around to Jules, grabs his wallet, and says, you know, what's in the case? Jules is like, my boss's dirty laundry. Your boss makes you get your laundry? Sounds like a shit job. I was just thinking the same thing. <laughs> Tells him to open the case. And he's like, can't do that. The guy's like, excuse me? You heard me. <laughs> it's so badass. <laughs> you heard me. Yeah. So Jules opens the, the, the briefcase to distract him, grabs his gun, pulls him down, disarms him. Amanda Plummer starts freaking out. And Tim Roth's like, stay cool. It's all right. And Jewel has him sit down across from him, tells him to get his wallet. Which one is it? The one that says bad motherfucker. <laughs> God damn. And then that's Tarantino's wallet, of course. Yeah. Yeah. yeah of course. It is. Oh, God. 
And uh, he gives Tim Roth all the money in the wallet. And by this time, Vincent's come out of the bathroom and has his gun pointed at Amanda Plummer. <laughs> and he tells Jules, you give that piece of what do you say? You give that Nimrod fifteen hundred dollars. I'll shoot him on general principle. <laughs> <laughs> he calls him a Nimrod. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> this Nimrod. My God. So Jules tells Vincent, be cool. No one's getting shot. And Jules tells, uh, well, Pumpkin, I guess is his name. We don't ever get their full names. And uh, he tells him Ezekiel 2517 tells him about that and says, you know, they used to just be some cold blooded shit. I said before I killed a motherfucker. If you heard it, it meant your ass. <laughs> and but he says, but I'm trying. I'm trying to be better. I'm trying to be the shepherd. So I gave you the money from that in the wallets. This looks like a pretty successful score. So get out of here. And they leave. And <laughs> Jules and Vincent are like, we should probably get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> They they take off, and uh, the uh, the the music uh, Surf Rider by the Lively One starts playing. It's a perfect end of this movie, uh, bit of score. And yeah, they go to Marcellus's strip club to deliver the case like they did at the beginning, and the movie is over. It's a wild fucking ride. Yeah, you you have the classic <laughs> written and directed by Quentin Tarantino, and it. You, you immediately are like, wait a minute, you know, and then it just doesn't take long to figure out exactly what's going on. But um, it is it, it is such a unique film still. Still, mainstream movies just don't don't do this kind of format, don't do this kind of cutting and this kind of editing. No, you can expect this kind of jarring bit of cinema from only Quentin Tarantino. I mean, many have tried to replicate him since, but nobody's ever come close. Yeah, I, yeah, that that's like all those bands that came after, you know, like Sonic Youth and Nirvana that thought they were grunge, but it's like, no, you're not really. It, it, it happens. People try to, you know, emulate greatness, and it just, you can't. That's right. You gotta do your own thing. This is Pearl Jam's even flow, and every other movie that tried to replicate it is are all the other air sounds, exactly. like banding from the bands from the '90s. Exactly. There's so many of them, and they're all fucking terrible. <laughs> what, what whatever happened to that like that noise that kind of died off after the 90s the hootie and the blowfish stone temple pilots kind of yeah yeah that 90s just like a garage rock yeah. <laughs> i got it so pulp fiction fantastic movie as per the filmgasm you know tradition one to ten score this is an easy ten Nowhere, yeah, no other score will do. <laughs> yeah, I, I had told you, uh, I think I texted you a couple days ago, that I, I feel very similarly to how Sean, your Uncle Sean, felt about Escape from New York. Yeah. I've seen this movie so many times, I don't know. It's one of those where a rating doesn't even seem to do it justice, but yeah, 10, 10 out of 10. <laughs> I, will, I will recognize, again, this is, you know, you can kind of throw Shawshank out there as like a, a comparison. But because of that, you know, really rough gimp scene, that whole bit in the pawn shop, and then the scene with Quentin Tarantino actually dropping the N-word over and over, it just, it, um, it, yeah, it's a little distasteful and unnecessary uh, for, for, for yeah. most fans. And uh, I just, Shawshank doesn't have that kind of thing. And not just Shawshank, there's other movies, but that's the one that I think has that kind of caliber. But for me, Pulp Fiction is a 10 out of 10 for so many reasons. Uh and, and uh, 
you know, I, I don't think it's really ever going to leave that. It's kind of been that way ever since I first saw it. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I think that about wraps it up for uh, our thoughts on Pulp Fiction. Uh, this has been a great first episode of Oscar Sunday. We hope to have many, many more for you. We'll have a filmgasm on Wednesday and Oscar Sunday on, well, Sunday. Yeah. And uh, we're going to wrap this up with our old recurring segment from Filmgasm moved over here this week in film. What has been going on in film over the past week? Not a lot, obviously. The film world has slowed down as of late, but there's always something that comes through the cracks. So first off, we talked a bit about this on last week's Rewind on Filmgasm. Ryan Gosling has been cast in a Wolfman reboot by Universal and Blumhouse. Very much looking forward to that. Uh, we obviously, you know, we're both big fans of Ryan Gosling. And I'm, I don't know about you, but I am personally a big fan of the Wolfman. Yeah, yeah. So this is going to be neat. I'm excited about this. Yeah, and excited uh, who's, who's doing it. You know, um, we feel like we're in good hands and it's going to be taken care of. So very excited. Yes, indeed. Next up, uh, sinister director Scott Derrickson is going to be directing a sequel to Labyrinth. Uh, I've never seen Labyrinth. Uh, it's on my list, but I am a fan of Scott Derrickson. I love Sinister. I love Doctor Strange. So I think that'll be a very uh, unique take on the Labyrinth world. Oh, for sure. I, uh, I you, You'll love the Labyrinth. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure I will. I'm a big Bowie fan, and I love Colt. You know, 80s film, so I'm sure it'll be great. Yeah, you're going to enjoy that one for sure. <laughs> uh, Henry Cavill is in talks to return as Superman for the DCEU. It was inevitable. I thought, you know, eventually he was going to come back. Didn't take long. Apparently, they're just going to be using him for cameos, which seems like a waste of Henry Cavill. <laughs> but I don't know. Uh, Henry Cavill is really going to get lost as someone who I think did his job fine. Uh I don't think I don't think those movies are his fault whatsoever. Nah. Um, and, and he's not. Yeah, he's not going to get his right recognition because yeah, the products just aren't that good. Him and Affleck got lost in just bad writing and bad editing. And yeah. I think the uh, the Justice League Snyder cut, the success of that will determine the future of the DCEU with Henry Cavill and if he de- decides, you know, if they decide to use him more frequently or just you know put him in the background. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? DC's been a mess for like 10 years now. It's fucking crazy. And then finally, uh, this was inevitable, but it has been announced they are doing a sequel to Sonic the Hedgehog, which probably will go down as the most successful film of 2020. God, that's crazy. <laughs> assuming we like that's assuming we don't get anything else, <laughs> which who knows? I hope not. I hope stuff starts to open back up. Tenet is holding strong for July 17th, I think. Yeah. So here's hoping if things work out, we'll go back to a somewhat normal relationship with the movie theater. Yeah. But yeah, I didn't see Sonic the Hedgehog because I never cared about Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah, me neither. I still I'll see it at some point, maybe. But um, I'm not making time for it. (laughs) Nope. And that concludes our debut episode on Oscar Sunday. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you continue to tune in. Uh, on a weekly basis to hear us rant about some more highbrow movies, if you will. Yeah. And uh, as usual, you can check us out. YouTube, iTunes, Podbean. Uh, We're hoping to uh, explore further avenues in the future. Uh, We'll keep you updated on when and if we are able to do that. 
thank you very much for making it this far if you came over from filmgasm and if not well check out filmgasm for a little bit more of our movie fix yeah 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 and if you um want to join us next week we're going to be doing the five bloods which is coming out on netflix on friday and then on sunday we'll be talking about that film and spike lee's um career in general and how he has been touched by the oscars time and time again and has spoken against the oscars and um, has consistently made films that are for him and from his own mind, no matter who's telling him what to do. Uh, another similar mind to Tarantino, where he just is going to get his vision out there. And yes. I, I respect him greatly. I don't love all of his movies, but I respect him. And I'm very excited for that movie to come out because it's a new movie, right? It's a movie that we would be seeing in theaters anyway uh, if it was uh, if it was out and if it was on a normal year because um, it's Spike Lee. So exciting to see Defy Bloods uh, on Friday, again, on Netflix, and on Oscar Sunday next week. We'll be dissecting the film. Yes, we will. It'll be very fun. And uh, we're going to be using Oscar Sunday as our platform to dive into newly released uh, films as well, follow yes. the current Oscar race once that starts ramping up. So that's where all our, our uh, new release episodes will be going, is to this podcast. Yeah, and it's, it's very hard to know. Um, obviously, this is a oscar-centered podcast it's hard for anyone especially us to know what the state of the oscars will be in um, this upcoming february um, yeah we have no idea what's going to happen we don't know that's kind of why we're taking the time to explore past films yes um, such as such as pulp fiction and we're going to continue to do that every sunday we'll be centering around one film but talking about so much more than just one film yeah, and we'll have the occasional, you know, top 10 or something like that. Yeah, just whatever we feel like doing at the time. And we're going to be focusing on current films mainly because, you know, we don't know what's going to be up for Oscars next time. So exactly. best to cover all our bases and talk about as much as we can. Yeah, and, and I, I do. I want to encourage people that this is um, if you listen to this. Uh, obviously, we didn't just talk about Pulp Fiction at the beginning. Um, that's how it's going to be. We're going to be talking about the Oscars from that year. Um so, you know, if we're talking about a movie from the 70s, we're going to be discussing movies from the 70s and talk about what's surrounded it, just like we talked about Shawshank and Forrest Gump a lot. Um, so don't be don't be just uh, think that we're only talking about Pulp Fiction. This is a all encompassing, all are welcome Oscar movies. You know, that's that's what we're doing here. Opening the door to so much more is what we're trying to do. Yes, indeed. Well said. Well, we'll uh, join us four to five bloods next Sunday. And uh I'm excited to uh, embark on this new journey. Hell yeah, me too, man. Right on. See you next Sunday, folks. Peace.